If you don't have someone to travel with, make sure you're traveling with God. Welcome to Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the Word. And today, I am actually continuing. Last week, I had given an impromptu message, basically called The Will of the Father. And not too long after I had finished that message, God spoke, and he said, next week, you're going to do part two. And the week after that, there's a part three. And today, part two of the will of the Father, four things to do to help you follow God's will. So I'm just going to talk about four fairly simple things that will help you follow God's will. Number one, write it down. Write it down. My daddy, he had a statement that simply said, a short pencil is better than a long memory. Write it down. Habakkuk 2.2, this is probably the most famous of the writing verses. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. There's a power in just writing something down. It transfers into the subconscious system. It's a neuromuscular response. When you write something down, it has a greater impact. But the big thing about writing something down, especially if God has spoken it to you, is you remember it exactly because now you can go back and read it. Do you know with time we get stuff all twisted up? Revelation 1.19 says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Do you know how messed up the Bible would be if they didn't write stuff down? Have you ever been in class and they gave you the example of, they would tell one person a statement and have it whispered to each person right on down the line, and when they got to the end, they would ask the person what was the original statement, and they tell the original statement, then they asked the person at the end, whole different thing. Didn't even resemble the first statement. Had it had been written down, it would have been different. You know, I even dealt with some people. And sometimes when I'm dealing with people who are what I would call not quite, they lie. Let me just put it clear. I said, look, every communication, we're going to do this in writing. Now, I'd rather talk this out. No, we're going to do this in writing. And I didn't quite tell them this, but I said, the reason we're going to do this in rank, you lie too much. So if you lie, if you put it in writing, you can go right, but you see what you said right there. But see, if you, I ain't say that. I ain't what I meant. See, when it's written, you can't, you can't dance around it. That's why if you ever got a person who lying a whole lot, get them to write it down. And they're going to hesitate and they don't want to do that. And they don't want to do it because they know they got this nature and they'd rather talk it. And it's kind of in the vapor when you're just talking it. But when you got to write it, it's specific. I got so many of these statements from my father. He said, reading maketh 
a full man, conversation a ready man, but writing an exact man. So when you write stuff down, it's exact, you're accountable for it, and you can't dance around it. That's why even in business, I would say, get it in writing. Somebody give you a promise and it's oral, well, I didn't say that. You can't prove that. Get it in writing. So that's why God had men to put things in writing. Numbers 33, 22, and Moses wrote their goings out according to their journeys by the commandment of the Lord. And these are their journeys according to their goings. And Moses wrote it. He wrote it down, not by word of mouth, but by writing. Jeremiah 30, beginning at verse 2, thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. So when you write it, it's permanent, it's exact, and particularly if it's a word. Because, see, man alive, even writing. That's why when you look at the contracts that the U.S. government made with the Native Americans, or what we call, or you call the Indians, they broke every single contract. They had about over 200 treaties. Broke every one. They were all written. Man will still, you can hold them accountable and prove it if it's written. He'll lie more if it's just oral, but if it's written, at least you can point to it. But he will still lie and break the promise even in writing. But God had men to write things for a particular reason. I had a gentleman recently, and he contacted me, and he said, Pastor, I want to go away on a trip with my wife. And uh, you told me, it's been a long time ago, but you told me you would send me anywhere in the world I wanted to go. And I want to go with my wife. She's going on this trip, so I want you to send me there. I said, look, I think I emailed that to me. Send me that email. So he sent me the email. And the email said, take him on a trip anywhere he want to go. I said, that's entirely different. God didn't tell me to send you anywhere. He said, take you somewhere. So I will take you anywhere you want to go, but I ain't sending you anywhere. And see, that one slight word made a drastic difference in the meaning of it. Didn't change my intention. I'm going to take him on the trip. But that one slight word, and it will change entire outcome, sometimes based on a word. So when we don't write what God says, give it a little time, and it has twisted in our mind. That's why you need to read the word of God. When God speaks to you, you need to write it so you know exactly what God said. Because one word can make a drastic difference. Number one, write it down. Number two, don't get discouraged because it starts off rough. When God tells you to do something, the vast majority of the time is something you really don't want to do. Because most people are already doing what they want to do. So when God tells you something, a good bit of the time is something that you really don't want to do or it's out of your normal habit pattern. It takes you out of your comfort zone. 
And sometimes when we start this thing, it feels real rough to us. Don't get discouraged because it starts out rough. God told me, he said, when you're 65, you will walk the El Camino with one of your sons. I was 65 years old. My oldest son, Nate, was 25 years old. He went with me to walk the El Camino. The 500-mile walk, and he had this guide of each day. And it had each day rated from a 1 being the easiest to a 5 being the toughest. And we started out in France. And to get on this trip, it was just all kind of barriers looked like there was stopping me. God had told me, look, I couldn't take the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine. So I never took the vaccine. God told me, you do not get vaccinated. It didn't have nothing to do with you. I just couldn't. I couldn't get vaccinated. And we were going to Spain. Spain had a mandate that you couldn't enter their country without a vaccination. I had made our reservations a long time ago for the plane. I had to cancel. I said, I'm, I'm not getting vaccinated. And God told me to go, but I can't go. Two weeks prior to us leaving, they lifted the mandate. I had to go back and buy the tickets. The tickets cost double because now I was buying them at the last minute. Had to go buy and buy the tickets, pay double. When we got to Spain, the trip actually started in France. But France had a mandate. You couldn't enter France without being vaccinated or a recent COVID test within the last 48 hours. The problem is we had gotten there. We weren't going to have a COVID test by the time we got to the border of France. So we just, and I heard God speak, go ahead anyway. And I told Nate, I said, I'm just hearing God say, go ahead anyway, even though they said that you need a, a recent COVID test. So we hopped on the bus, rode to Spain, the little town that we were supposed to start to walk in. The bus dropped us off right in the middle of the city square. And I'm, ain't nobody checking anything. God knew that. So we had all kind of barriers. And we had this big old heavy backpack. So the next day we started our walk. And that was the roughest walk I've ever had in my life. I mean, we started up a mountain walking up this hill. I had this big old heavy backpack on and my son was, he started walking faster than I was. And I said, I just can't keep up with this boy. He was in real good shape. He was able to do 30 pull-ups. He was just in phenomenal shape. So he was just a hauling. And I said, I'm not even going to try to keep up with this boy. So in about 15 minutes, he was out of sight. So I'm struggling up this mountain with this big old heavy backpack. And I finally come around the corner. There he is laying on the ground. And I said, I said, I said, I said what's wrong with you? He said, Dad, I got a cramp. So fortunately, some hikers were walking by. They saw us over there and they said, you all got a cramp? He said, yeah, they had magnesium tablets because it's something we didn't know about, but all serious hikers will carry magnesium tablets when they got a cramp. So he was able to get some tablets from them in 10, 15 minutes, the cramp had dissipated. So we trugged on. By the end of that day, every muscle in my body was aching. Shoulders was hurting because the straps had just cut into my shoulders and Every leg, hip, everything was just hurting because we had walked all up these mountains with this big old heavy backpack, and it was about 20-something miles. I was just shot. And I said to myself, I was thinking, if my son said he wants to quit and go home, I'm going with him. Because <laughs> I just wasn't sure I could make that. 
And so we slept that night, got up the next day. I was still sore. I was still hurting. But we did find a service that would take our bags to the next location. So we had our bags transported so at least I could walk without that big old heavy bag on my back. But the next day was almost just as rough as the first day. So, but it was a level four. And then the third day was like a level three. And what we saw, the only level five out of that whole 500 miles was day one. And see, this is a spiritual pilgrimage. It's called the Way of St. James, and it has to do with St. James who traveled this path, and a lot of people every year will walk it. They usually walk the last 60 miles. They don't do the whole 500. But I said, why did they make this thing start off with a level five? And they make it so tough and so rough. And after we got past the third day, all of the other trips were level ones and level twos. They were just flat, and they weren't easy, but they weren't like that first day. Sometimes when you're starting off on a divine journey, starting off is just rough. Number one, because you come out of your comfort zone and it just feels like it just, Lord, I just can't make it. I know you told me to do I just hang in there. And if you hang in there, you will reach your destination and it will get easier and easier and easier. After the third day, we took two days of rest. And after I had a good night's sleep after that third day, it literally felt like I was walking on a trampoline. I just felt bouncy. So the difference between the end of day one when everything was hurting to the end of day four, I felt like I was walking on a trampoline. If you hang in there with what God has told you to do, you will eventually reach a point where you say, I understand. And while I was there, I was talking to Pastor James one day on the phone, and he said, suppose your youngest son, George, asked you to walk to El Camino. I don't think I'm coming back on this thing again. This thing is just too rough. But just a few weeks ago, I was somewhere, and there was a countryside that reminded me of a walk through Spain. And I said to myself, in truth, I wouldn't mind doing that again but I only want to go 250 miles this time, not to 500. But the point is, once you get through something, you're able to look back, you're able to see the benefit, you're able to understand the why. And my son read about six or seven or eight different books while we were there, just transformative. An experience I will never forget. But that first day felt like it nearly killed both of us. I could barely make it. I was aching. He was on the ground, couldn't get up. So we had some challenges that first day. Why did God make it where the first day was the roughest day? And sometimes so it will be with you when God has told you to do something. Starting out, it will feel like you are going to die. But if you hang in there and don't give up, you will reach the destiny that God had ordained for you. Number three... Travel with someone with a like mind and purpose and destiny. It makes a huge difference who you travel with. Because who you travel with matters. It's like the statement that you become the aggregate of your five closest associates. Who you travel with. So if God has given you a destiny, he's given you a path, Make sure you get somebody to go with you on that path who has a like mind. 
if my son had said give up, I probably would have. So both of us encouraged each other. And because he didn't give up, I didn't give up. And both of us, by the time we had gotten through that first week and that second week, it was just a blissful joy. Our bodies were in shape. We were trimmed down. We were walking strong. It was a joy and a beauty. But the first day nearly killed us. But I was walking with someone of like mind and like spirit and who was in better shape than I was. So he stayed in front of me a whole lot and it made me go faster. If somebody is behind you, it makes you go slower. If somebody is complaining about some stuff, it makes the weight on you heavier. But when you're walking with someone of like mind, of like spirit, and of like destiny, it makes the journey. That's why one can put 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000. You're 10 times stronger when you're walking with someone of like mentality. And the corollary of that is true also. You 10 times weaker when you're walking with somebody going in the opposite direction, who complaining and pulling against you and can't even see the view. What are we doing? What are we doing? You ain't shoot, man. So when you hear that, it drains the energy from you. But if you're walking with someone in like step, it'll strengthen you and you can reach your destiny much better. Number four, if you don't have someone to travel with, Make sure you're traveling with God. And this makes a tremendous difference in life. I told you before that I travel a whole lot now, but God told me, he said, look, 80% of your travels, I want you to either be alone or with the woman. And uh, my good baby just won't go with me that much. So most of the time I'm by myself. But he said, the reason I want you to go by yourself is because I want you to get closer to me. And I began to understand what God was talking about. When I travel with others, it's real nice. I enjoy that company. Even when I travel with my brothers, it's just super nice. But there is something different about traveling alone, focused on God. I've, I've gotten to a stage where I call it the happiness bubble. And it just feels like I'm just literally walking in a bubble of just joy. But I'm alone with no one but God. And this makes a difference. And even recently on my prayer, yesterday, as I was out praying, I was in Florida. I was on the balcony looking out over the beach. It was 6 o'clock in the morning. It was still dark. And he said, I want you to stop being concerned about your time in prayer and start being concerned about your intensity in prayer. So I have a daily report that I send to my accountability partner. And on that report, I got my 5 a.m. prayer, my 10 p.m. prayer. I changed my report to where prayer intensity, high, medium, or low, depending upon how I can feel my connection. Because said, you've gotten past the point now where you need to worry about how long you. I want you to make sure you are well connected to me. So it makes a difference when you travel with God, particularly I want to just read you this passage with Moses in Exodus 34, beginning at the 29th verse. And it's the shining face of Moses. Now, it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain. Now, I want you to note, he had the Ten Commandments in writing. 
He didn't have it in his head. He had it in writing. Not only was it in writing, it was in stone. But it was written by the finger of God. God could have just easily spoken the Ten Commandments to Moses. And actually, it wasn't the Ten Commandments. It was the 613 commandments. It was really more than that. The Ten Commandments were technically the first Ten Commandments. So he had those written in stone by the hand of God. That Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with God. So when Aaron and all of the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near. And he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put on a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with God. Now, when you are close to God, when you start getting in his presence, it'll change the way you look. It'll change the vibration. I've had a half a dozen people over the years come to me and say, Pastor, you were glowing, and I just saw this glow all over. There's something that happens. Some of y'all are going to start seeing The more time I spend with God, the more it changes your countenance. And it actually changes it so much that some people can actually start to see the glow that's on you. Do you realize how holy we would be if we took our social media time and spent that with God, our TV time and spent that with God? Do, do you realize how holy we would be if we made sure we read our Bible as much as we made sure we never leave our phone at home? Do you understand the, the power that we would have if we would just focus? And half of the people, you got a phone that has a logo on the back of an apple with a bite out of it. Tells you exactly what it means. But we still can't put it down. And I'm not blaming anybody who's got an iPhone because Android, Android is just as bad. It's just as bad. That stuff addicts you. It hooks you. One of the things I have on my daily report is that I have followed my email rules, which is don't check email, but every two hours. Because you become, you're checking your phone. The average person, I think the stats are the average person looks at their phone about 400 times a day. That's addictive. And that's the way the world has you, where you're just so locked in. Look at folk on a date. Watch them. Watch the couples on a date. And what you will see are two couples, except for Clayton and Natasha. They, well, I see Clayton, you got your phone, but that's your Bible on it. But this is the point. You'll see couples at dinner. And the man looking at his phone, and the woman looking at her phone, and they're not even looking at each other. For those of you who have a date, Put your phone, you, do you realize that was a point when that cell phones didn't, we act like we can't go anywhere without a phone. 
And the cell phone just came into being probably about, let's see, I got my first cell phone when I was probably about 30 years old. So it came, it's almost been 50 years. Now, what do you think we did for 50 years? You didn't have a phone? And now look like we can't go anywhere without a phone. You can't sit and eat without the phone. The studies have shown that if you have a phone on the table, it automatically distracts things. Put it up. So if you're going on a date, put your phone up. You can stand for an hour or two with no phone. So if we focused on God or just spent that time focusing on each other, it would transform our lives. The will of the Father, four things that will help you. Number one, write it down. Write it down. That's the first thing. Write it down. What has God told you to do? Write it down. And you keep it written where you can see it exactly. And number two, remember, it may start off rough, but it gets easier as you obey. And number three, make sure you follow the will of God, walking the path with someone of like mind and like destiny. It's a huge difference. And number four, you spend some time with God, just you and God. That will make a tremendous difference in your world. Four things that will help you do the will of God. Bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you so much. I thank you for the hills and the mountains that we must go through. I thank you for speaking clearly the will of what you would have us to do. Give us just the strength and the discipline and the fortitude to be able to start and finish that which you have commanded us to do. For within your will and obedience, great blessings reside. Help us. Help us, Lord, to do thy will. In thy son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. You are listening to BrothersoftheWord.com. This was part eight of the series titled, The Reluctant King, subtitled, The Will of My Father, Part Two, by Nathaniel Bronner. This message is number 2012. That's 2012. To listen to thousands of free messages, or to send this message number 2012 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you, and you would like to help support this ministry, go to iwanttogive.com. That's iwanttogive.com. Listen to brothersoftheword.com often, because brother, you need the word. From brother.